أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to the Reflections on the Risale-i Nur by Bediüzzaman Said Nursi podcast. In this episode, we are going to record the uh, information that is already provided on the reflections-rn.org website as an introduction to the Risale-i Nur and its author's life that is among Said Nursi's life. Again, this information is already provided on the reflections-rn.org website. The episode is not based on a reading of the Risale-i Nur. Inshallah, uh, following these few introductory episodes, this podcast will be based on a reading of the Risale-i Nur and reflections and clarifications on what we read. But the first few episodes are introductory and based on the information on this website. The first episode was titled, What is the Risale Inur? And the second episode is going to be on, Who is Bedu Zaman Said Nursi? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Who is Bedu Zaman Said Nursi? Bedu Zaman Said Nursi who was born in 1878 and died in 1960, or according to the Islamic calendar, the Hijri calendar, who was born in 1295 and died in 1379, or Ustad Nursi, as his followers, his readers, his students refer to him, was a great scholar, Gnostic, and saint of the 14th century of the Islamic calendar. He struggled his entire life to understand, implement, teach, and uphold the message of the Qur'an and the prophetic example. His unshakable certainty in the truths of faith provided a bastion of refuge and hope for Muslims in the late Ottoman Empire and Republican Turkey. And this was at the time of calamitous defeats and moral collapse that sealed the end of the Ottoman Caliphate. Today. The treasure of knowledge he left behind, that Ustad Nusi left behind, the Risale-i Nur Kulliyate, or the Compendium of the Epistles of Light, continues to teach and inspire believers all around the world. Ustad Nusi was born to a peasant family in the village of Nurs in the Bitlis province of the Kurdish regions of the Ottoman Empire. His father, Sophie Mirza, who died in 1920, may God have mercy on his soul, descended from the grandson of the Messenger of God, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Hassan, radiallahu anh, through Abdul Qadir al-Jilani, who is a great, great saint and died in 1166. Ustad Nursi's mother, Nurehanum, died during World War I, May God have mercy on her soul too. She descended from the other grandson of the Messenger of God, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Hussein radiallahu anh. Therefore, Ustad Nursi connected to the prophetic lineage both as a Sharif, that is a descendant of Hassan radiallahu anh, and as a Sayyid, that is a descendant of 
Hussein radiallahu anhu. And of course, Hassan and Hussein were the two blessed sons of Ali radiallahu anhu and the Prophet's daughter Fatima radiallahu anha. Ustad Nursi's mother and father were illiterate and poor, but they were known for their piety and fear of God, and they ensured that all of their children would study. Ustad Nursi left his home at the age of nine to study in the local madrasas or religious seminaries, Islamic seminaries of what was then known as Kurdistan. This region today corresponds to uh, you know, Southeast Turkey, Northern Iraq, Northern Syria, maybe a small uh, you know, part of Iran. At that time in the Ottoman Empire, it was referred to as Kurdistan. Receiving proper education proved to be challenging for Ustad Nursi at the beginning though. It was difficult to find a teacher who could satisfy the quick mind, photographic memory, and piercing intellect of this evidently extraordinary child. Ustad Nursi eventually reached that fertile ground where he could flourish at the Madrasa of Muhammad Jalali Hazrat in Dolbeyazid. Muhammad Jalali Hazrat was a well-known scholar of the time in the region. He was born in 1851 and died in 1914. May God have mercy on his soul. And Dolbeyazid, where Muhammad Jalali Hazrat's Madrasa was, is in the city of Ar today. Here, at this madrasa, Ustad Nursi fast-tracked through the entire madrasa curriculum, which usually takes like 10 to 15 years. He fast-tracked through the entire madrasa curriculum over a winter, over the winter of 1892-93. He memorized many of the books that his peers studied. So he not only studied them, but he memorized them. Having studied in this way, he received his first ijazah or certificate of knowledge and teaching approximately at the age of 15 from Muhammad Jalali Hazrat. Later, he would receive a second ijazah from Sheikh Fatullah al-Sirdi, who died in 1899. May God have mercy on his soul. In both of these ijazahs, Ustad Nursi's chain of knowledge extends to Ali radiallahu the father of Hassan and Hussein, radiallahu anhumah, as we mentioned, uh, also the fourth caliph and the son-in-law of the messenger of God and, uh, and the great companion of him, the prophet, of, the prophet uh, you know, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, had said that he is the gate of knowledge. So his Ustad Nursi's chain of knowledge, silsila, extends to Ali radiallahu an through Imam al-Ghazali, the hujjatul uh, Islam, the proof of Islam, the great scholar of the uh, 11th century of, his, of, of the uh, regular calendar that we use today, who died in 1111. May God have mercy on his soul too. During his early years of study and travel among the madrasas of Kurdistan, young Nursi, you know, not Ustad Nursi yet, young Nursi, also attracted the attention of prominent Sufi masters and reportedly he received special blessings and spiritual insight from some of them, such as the famous Naqshbandi Sheikh 
Abdurrahman al-Taghi, who died in 1903. However, as it should become clear upon studying Ustad Nursi's lifelong career and the Risale-i Nur, his mission and teachings encompassed the essence of all major Sufi orders, tariqas, and were not limited to one of them. Although Ustad Nursi never stopped learning, already by the time he received his ijazas, his knowledge as well as his ability to apply that knowledge to difficult scholarly questions or practical matters were unmatched. This extraordinary aptitude earned him the alias, the nickname Bedu'uz-Zaman, meaning the marvel of the age, among the scholarly circles of the Ottoman Empire's eastern lands. Later, when he traveled to Istanbul, this qualification would be acknowledged by world-renowned scholars of the time too. To give an indication of Ustad Nursi's scholarly accomplished accomplishment, we can mention that he had memorized over 90 major books that were taught in the Ottoman madrasas. And when we say 90 major books, we don't mean 90 volumes of books. Some of those books were multiple volumes themselves. So he had me memorized over 90 major books along with the Quran, thousands of prophetic traditions, and somewhat later in his life, he would also memorize a major and voluminous Arabic dictionary up to, up to the letter seen. He was never asked. He was never asked a question in scholarly examinations, but he gave a sound and convincing answer. His knowledge was both kesbi, i.e. that is a reward for his determined effort to learn, and wahbi, that is, bestowed to him as a special gift from God. The inspired aspect, the inspired um, aspect nature of his knowledge was evident in his ability to evaluate and resolve difficult questions, and it was also confirmed in reliable dreams. In one of those dreams, which he had had in 1891, shortly before going to Muhammad Jalali Hazrat's madrasa in Dobayazid, the Messenger of God وسلم, had told Ustad Nursi that he would be given knowledge on condition that he would, Ustad Nursi, would abstain from asking questions to members of the Prophet's وسلم, community of followers, Ummah, in way of testing their knowledge. As a result, Ustad Nursi never asked questions uh, to scholars, to others uh, of the Ummah, scholars of the Ummah, or other believers, in way of testing their knowledge. In the second dream, which Ustad Nursi had had at the beginning of World War I, he was instructed by what he calls, as he narrates the dream, what he calls an important person to proclaim the miraculousness of the Quran. He was instructed to proclaim the miraculousness of the Quran. After teaching and preaching in various Kurdish provinces for a few years, in for a few years, in 1897, Ustad Nursi accepted an invitation from the governor of the city of Van and moved there. He stayed in this less provincial city for 10 years and taught his own students. 
Meanwhile, he also explored modern scientific and political literature in the governor's evidently large library. Because this library perished in a fire, we do not know exactly what Ustad Nursi had studied there. However, it appears that he, he had mastered advanced works in several disciplines of knowledge from physiology and geography to philosophy and algebra to the extent that he would be tested by the experts of those disciplines at the governor's manor and consistently he would come out undefeated. In 1907, Ustad Nursi traveled to Istanbul, the capital of the Ottoman Empire, primarily to seek financial and political support to open a madrasa that would teach religious and positive sciences together simultaneously in Turkish, Kurdish, and Arabic in the empire's eastern lands. He called this madrasa that he wanted to open Madrasa to Zahra. This was a this was a tumultuous period for the Ottoman Empire though. A few months after Ustad Nursi's arrival in Istanbul, he found himself in the thick of revolutionary developments that transformed the Sultanate, the Ottoman Sultanate, into a constitutional monarchy. Ustad Nursi put his knowledge and oratory skills in the service of expanding freedoms in the empire in this period. Though Importantly, he would insist that those freedoms should be exercised within the bounds of the Sharia. Yet, the initial euphoria of the revolution soon left its place to a chaotic struggle for power. Ustad Nursi returned to one in 1912 and started the construction of his madrasa. He did not want to you know, stay in that struggle of power. He returned to one and started the construction of his madrasa and also you know, kept teaching students as the construction work continued. But the advent of World War I prevented the completion of this project. Ustad Nursi moved on to command a regiment of voluntary soldiers against the invading Russian armies. <coughs> Meanwhile, he also began writing a Quranic commentary. So he is leading a regiment of soldiers in the in the war and also writing a Quranic commentary. A very, very intense period for him. This commentary, which he would dictate to one of his students as he simultaneously commanded his soldiers on horseback at the battlefield, comprises the first chapter of the Quran al-Fatiha and the first 33 verses of the second chapter, Al-Baqarah. It also constitutes one of the books of Ustad Nursi's magnum opus, the Risale Nurkulliyat, or the Compendium of the Epistles of Light. Unfortunately, this blessed effort to write a commentary on the Quran had to come to an abrupt end when Ustad Nursi was wounded in a battle, captured, and taken as a prisoner of war to the city of Kostroma in northern Russia. Approximately two lonely years of introspection in this northern city marked the beginning of a spiritual crisis that would last more than a decade for Ustad Nursi. He escaped from imprisonment during Russia's chaotic state in the wake of the Bolshevik Revolution at the end of 1917. He traveled to Istanbul through Europe. Upon his arrival, he was welcomed as a war hero 
and in recognition of his scholarly aptitude, he was appointed as a member of the empire's highest council of Islamic scholarship, Darul Hikmat al-Islamiyah. Yet, the realization of the ephemeral nature of this fame and the worldly blessings that accompanied it actually deepened Ustad Nursi's inner crisis, or we may refer to it as his spiritual maturation. He would ultimately come out of this crisis with the spiritual assistance of Abdul Qadir al Jilani and Imam Rabbani Ahmed Sirhindi. Abdul Qadir al Jilani, we already mentioned, he is one of the greatest uh, saints of, of God. And Imam Rabbani Ahmed Sirhindi is again a, a great saint from India who died in 1624 um, in a great uh, saint and the, the beginning of one of the branches of the Naqshbandi Sufi order. Ustad Nursi came out of his spiritual crisis by reading uh, Abdul Qadir Jilani's Futuhul Ghaib or possibly Fatur Rabbani and Imam Rabbani's Maktubat. In in his uh, memoirs of the period, Ustad Nursi mentions Futuh al Ghaib of Abdul Qadir Jilani, but the content he describes uh, is more likely to be from Fatur Rabbani of Abdul Qadir Jilani. And what is likely is that the book may have been printed as Futuh al Ghaib on its cover, but Fatur Rabbani may have been printed or written, uh, handwritten on the margins. At any rate, Ustad Nursi matured out of, came out of this spiritual crisis with assistance from Abdul Qadir Jilani and Imam Rabbani through their books and possibly uh, through personal interaction with them in the spiritual realm too. This spiritual assistance guided Ustad Nursi away from the weakness of his commanding soul, he tells us, his nafs. The weakness of his commanding soul for fame. And it's subtle, the, that commanding souls, and perhaps his intellect too, subtle tendency to seek solutions to worldly problems through worldly arrangements. With advice from Imam Rabbani in his book Maktubat, Ustad Nursi resolved to concentrate all of his intellectual and spiritual effort on understanding the Quran and proclaiming its message in this period. Nonetheless, the world would not leave Ustad Nursi alone. Shortly after his arrival in Istanbul, the Ottoman Empire accepted defeat in World War I and collapsed. Then, Allied forces occupied Istanbul. A resistance movement emerged in Anatolia around what came to be known as the Grand National Assembly. This Grand National Assembly, which convened in the city of Ankara in 1920, invited Ustad Nursi to Ankara, and he went there with the intention to support the resistance. However, 
He soon noticed that the leaders of the resistance movement actually wanted to do away with religion in the new political situation that they were fighting to establish. Ustad Nursi perceived in this development some of the signs of the end of times, and with guidance from some prophetic traditions that shed light on such periods in history, he withdrew to a cave in the city of one. Here, as he emerged from his long spiritual crisis with a deeper state of realization, tahqiq, he wanted to avoid all social interaction. The fame that accompanied that that accompanied social interactions and the power politics that he had you know found himself time and again and detested as a source of much injustice so he wanted to withdraw yet a kurdish rebellion in southeast turkey in 1925 two years after the foundation of the republic disrupted ustad nursi's plans he had not supported this rebellion he had even prevented some clans in one from joining it. But the state authorities feared his reputation and charismatic influence as a scholar of Islam among the region's Kurdish population. Thus, they exiled him first to Sparta, a city in southwest Anatolia, and then to a nearby mountain village called Barla. The authorities' choice of Barla as Nursi's place of exile was due to its inaccessibility. At the time, one had to climb a mountain by car, through serpentine roads, cross a lake by boat, and then climb further before reaching Barla. Yet, this remote place of exile served as the incubator where God put Ustad Nursi in the service of the Quran and religion in his new state of realization. Ustad Nursi refers to himself before this realization as the Old Sayyid and after it as the New Sayyid. While Old Sayyid was a scholar and activist with a sharp intellect and daring character, New Sayyid was a compassionate spiritual teacher who relied on his intimate understanding of the Quran to establish a broad path to God that comprised the essence of all established paths and from which all believers from uninitiated peasants to advanced scholars could benefit. The villagers of Barla recognized the gift of knowledge and light that Ustad Nursi brought to their doorsteps. Slowly, they began to gather around him. The Risale Nur initially emerged from Ustad Nursi's teachings to these villagers in the form of brief treatises. However, we should note that it comprised much more than lessons for an uninitiated audience. A careful comparison of Ustad Nursi's previous works, especially from the early 1920s, and the Risale Nur, reveals that following years of deep, deep introspection and reflection upon the Quran and the observed universe, so reflection upon the Quran and the observed universe together, as two forms of revelation, Ustad Nursi had already reached the level of realization and illumination that characterizes the Risale Nur. He had recorded the inspired wisdoms emerging from his reflection or reflections in the form of brief notes for himself and published some of them, 
especially in the early 1920s. Therefore, his teachings to Barla's villagers and later to a larger circle of students were not mere inspirations of the moment. They contained inspired knowledge which Ustad Nursi received due to his decades of intellectual and spiritual preparation. In the persons of his immediate readers, this knowledge addressed the questions and needs of an entire age characterized by the ailments of positivism, consumerist materialism, and even militant and anti-religious indoctrination. It was not easy for an exiled scholar of Islam to publish his works in early Republican Turkey. The villagers of Barla hand-copied his treatises and secretly passed them on to other readers in a gradually growing network of readers and copiers. This went on for almost nine years. The number of people who secretly but devotedly read and copied Ustad Nursi's treatises in Barla and in other nearby villages, villages reached thousands. In 1935, however, the government clamped down on this network. They arrested Nursi along with several of his closer students and sent them to Eskishehir in central Anatolia to be tried. The court failed to produce a sentence, but Ustad Nursi was once again exiled, this time to Kastamonu, again in north-central Anatolia. The developments of Barla repeated in Kastamonu too. Students gathered around Ustad Nursi secretly. They read, hand-copied and spread his works. Ustad Nursi kept in touch with his former students with secret dissent and often hand-delivered letters. Then he was arrested, tried and exiled again, this time to Emirda, a small town in western Anatolia. Students gathered around him there too, and he kept on writing and teaching, despite a number of other court trials, detentions, and even being poisoned several times. While the treatises of the Risale-i Nur offer a treasure of knowledge and spiritual light, Ustad Nursi and his students' patient struggle and, and unwavering perseverance before injustices, slanders, deprivations, imprisonment, psychological pressure, and physical torture in this period provide the foundations of a model of principled action. This model should be considered a central component of Ustad Nursi's overall teaching too. One learns about it from his correspondence with his students in this period, which are compiled into four volumes in the Compendium of the Risali in Nur, as well as from the example of the students who personally learned from Ustad Nursi. Some of those students even had the fortune to live with Ustad Nursi in the same house during the last seven to eight years of his blessed life. In 1950, when Ustad Nursi was 72 years old, Turkey's ruling party changed in the country's first democratic election. The new regime relaxed its grip on religion relatively. Close government surveillance on Ustad Nursi continued in this period too, but he was allowed to rent a house in Sparta, settle there with a few of his students, and publish his books in print. He stopped writing new treatises for the most part in this period and focused on training his students and spreading the Risale-i Nur. 
His readership grew to hundreds of thousands within a few years. At the end of 1959, he asked his students to take him on a journey through various cities where he met some of his other students. Then, in March 1960, when he was seriously ill in the month of Ramadan, he asked to be taken to the city of Urfa in southeast Anatolia. This is a blessed city that hosts the tombs and spiritual stations of several prophets. There, he passed away shortly after his arrival. He was 82 years old, and it was the night of power, or the 27th night of the month of Ramadan in the Islamic calendar. Ustad Nursi was initially buried in Urfa in the Dargah Mosque, which is believed to have been constructed on the site where Prophet Ibrahim was born. However, a coup d'etat took place in Turkey shortly after Ustad Nursi's death. Fearing that his tomb would serve as a place of gathering for his large following, the secularist military junta unearthed his body in July 1960 and buried it in an undisclosed location, possibly in the mountains of Sparta. Interestingly, it was Ustad Nursi's will that his tomb would remain hidden and people would pray for his soul without visiting his tomb. The junta had unknowingly fulfilled his will. Ustad Nursi's will for his tomb to remain hidden reflects his state of spiritual realization in which he perceived and acknowledged all the good that appeared in his hands to be from God alone. This is important. Let me read it again. Ustad Nursi's will for his tomb to remain hidden reflects his state of spiritual realization in which he perceived and acknowledged all the good that appeared in his hands to be from God alone. As a result, he would either not accept praise at all during his lifetime, of course. He would either not accept praise at all or if he feared breaking the heart of the person, a person who praised him, he would accept it in the name of the Risale-i Nur in relation to its inspired derivation from the Quran. I.e., he would refer the honor to the Quran and Quran alone. He said that he did not like himself or those who liked him for his self. He feared affectation and detested shows of respect to his person. As a result, the larger his following grew, the more humble he became and chose a life of seclusion. He would rarely accept visitors and often turn away even those who traveled from distant locations to see him. He would reject anyone who came to him expecting a blessing through him. He would tell them that they should read the Risale Nur instead. That's where the blessing is. But he would accept those who came to him to share his burden in serving the Quran and the religion by spreading the Risale Nur. He was extremely modest, but in proclaiming the truth and preserving the dignity of the knowledge that he carried, he was daring and fearless. When he was asked to stand up before the Tsar's uncle during his imprisonment, 
So when he was taken a prisoner of war uh, during World War I, uh, he, he was taken to Kostroma and they are walking you know, in a caravan of prisoners. They are walking and uh, they were camped somewhere probably in the Caucasus region and the Tsar's uncle was visiting the camp and all the prisoners were asked to stand up when the uh, Tsar's uncle came. Right, so when he was asked to stand up before the Tsar's uncle during his imprisonment in Russia, he refused, Ustad Nursi refused, on the grounds that this would not become the dignity of his scholarship. Standing up before a non-believer would not become you know, to show respect. Standing up to show respect before a non-believer would not become the dignity of his scholarship. So instead, he accepted to be put in, in front of the execution squad. The Tsar's uncle pardoned him in the last minute. He was put in front of the execution squad. He was about to be fired at. The Tsar's uncle pardoned him in the last minute upon recognizing the sincerity in Ustad Nursi's unhesitated preparedness to die in the way of preserving the dignity of his knowledge. All his life, Ustad Nursi aspired to be for God and for God alone. He abstained from all that that could attract or tie him to the world, that could hurt the sincerity of his intentions, or that could diminish the purity of his exertion in the service of the Quran. He was the recipient of many divine gifts and special blessings that broke the norm and confirmed the truth of his cause but he neither asked for nor expected them, hoping to receive his reward in the hereafter alone. He lived in poverty, wore old and patched clothing, and ate little to survive, but he would not accept even gifts, let alone charity. He slept little too and spent most of his nights in a state of worship and supplication. He was extremely compassionate, crying upon the sight of falling leaves, forbidding his students from killing mosquitoes or sharing his meager prison provision with mice. It was this compassion that underlined his determination to preserve believers' faith at a time when state policies and changing ways of life pushed believers away from religion and into hellfire. He proclaimed that one who attains true faith can defy the entire creation and he defied the dictatorial powers of a state that adamantly pursued the eradication of religion. He remained principled in his defiance though, and this is important. He believed that ends do not justify the means since God creates both the means and the ends and what behooves God's slaves is to serve him within the bounds that he permits. Thus, Ustad Nursi relied on God with absolute certainty, remained steadfast on his cause, expected and asked for success from God alone, and God blessed us with the risale Nur through him. May God have mercy on his soul. الفاتحة for his soul أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين 
الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم وآخر دعواه من الحمد لله رب العالمين